Are you okay? <laughs> I've started recording. Okay. Okay. Cool. I mean, this is this is like a casual conversation between two people, so just try to forget like the microphone or the camera. Maybe just drag the microphone a little bit closer. Oh, oh yeah, I'll sit forward. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. So welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures in a casual way. Uh, my name is Nosayari, and welcome to another episode. Uh, so today I have yet another guest. Alicia just left the studio, actually. Uh, Alicia Page, I just left the room. And um, we have Miriam here. Welcome, Miriam. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, so I want to get... The pronunciation of your first name and your last name. So is it Miriam or Miriam? Miriam. So it's an I, Miriam. Okay, what about your last name? Dangasuk. Dangasuk. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, could, I, I could pronounce that. Mm-hmm. And Miriam has been so generous, she brought some food for me. <laughs> <laughs> Miriam brought some food for me to see What did you bring for me, Miriam? Some <laughs> pasta. <laughs> Yeah, saying it on record, so I'm actually going to take it. <laughs> well, I'm just kidding. So Miriam is from South Sudan. How easy is it to prepare South Sudanese cuisine here in Washington, D.C.? Do you get to find some of the ingredients in the local African markets here in D.C.? Or Okay, uh, so South Sudanese food is heavily influenced by the Arab culture. And so... I will get some of the ingredients from like Arab stores as opposed to African stores. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so far, I haven't been able to get all the ingredients, but. Um, so, what's a popular uh, South Sudanese food? Like a very common uh, South Sudanese food. Yeah. Um, that would be um, Kisra. It's called Kisra. Kisra? Yeah, it's similar to uh, injera, like from the Ethiopian food. Injera? Um, yeah, it's more like, um, uh, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> Is it made of meat or flour? Yeah, flour, but it's more like a flat, round, big round. Uh, like shawarma kind of? No, shawarma is more of a bread. Okay. That one is more of chapati, like, and you know chapati is. No, no. no. Let's break it down. Let's break it down. So wait, when you go to wait, you call it Kisra, right? You call Kisra, yeah, K I S R A. So do you eat? Is it like two different mixtures? Like you dip it in a soup, or everything is in one? Like it's wrapped? No, yeah, it's different. Okay. So that's like the carbohydrate bit. So it's made of like maize and or money, depending. You can okay. add a little sorghum. Okay. Oh, yeah. I use hot water to like yeah. stir it up. Okay. Yeah. Naturally, you you start with cold water. Cool. Your paste. Then you have like a pan, a big pan, and you pour it over the over a hot pan and fill it out like okay. a pancake. Okay. But a big pancake. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of like semo or fufu where I come from or something. Yeah, yeah. close okay. to that, I guess. And then yeah, but then you still have to make like different sauces, like beans or vegetables or any other stew. Then eat with it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's almost like uh, Semo and Egusi. Like, I'm just trying to yeah. use some Nigerian analogy for those that listen to it. But you call it Kisra? Kisra. Yeah. Okay. I know Fufu is a bit different. 
Oh, you, you, you've like, had fufu? Yeah, I've had like a couple of veggies. Yeah, like, wait, wait, have you, had, have you had jollof rice? Yes, definitely. Yes. Okay, which one? Ghana, Nigerian? I've had both, but I wouldn't say, I won't, I'm not going to say which one is the best. She told me before the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good. How's your weekend going so far? Yeah, so my weekend is good. Yeah. Have you watched The Lion King yet? Not yet. Um, I'm trying to get someone to watch it. It's more mm. fun to go like group. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Maybe we should go together. Yeah, I would think I was listening to the mm-hmm. to the soundtrack, the song with Whiskey, with Burner Boy. Uh, they have a couple have of well, they have a couple of good mm-hmm. tracks, uh, but the most popular one I think at the moment is Brown Skin Girl, okay. uh, which was like Beyonce, Whiskey, Saint John, and Blue Ivy. Is it already on uh, on YouTube or? I listened to it on SoundCloud, but I would imagine, I think I saw it on Spotify also. All right, okay. So yeah, I would imagine it's uh, pretty much uh, everywhere. Right. Okay, so Miriam Dangasuk. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about South Sudan. Mm-hmm. Where is South Sudan? Uh, give us a little bit of the overline, like geography. Um, what's the common language in South Sudan? Just give us a little information so people understand what we're talking about. Okay. South Sudan is on the eastern part of Africa. Uh, originally, it was under Sudan and was considered mostly north, northern part of Africa. But since it gained independence in 2011, it's now more of East Africa. Uh, we have a population of around roughly 12 million. And in 2013, uh, fighting broke out, civil war broke out, which has been ongoing until now. There have been efforts. What's the common language in South Sudan? Oh, and the common language is uh, supposed to be English. Supposed to be? Yeah, but because okay. when we were under Sudan, we were speaking Arabic. Oh. Arabic is still commonly used, okay. uh, but English is supposed to be the formal official language of South Sudan. And what about religion? I would assume that a lot of people are Muslim over there. Yeah, it's a bit of a mixture. Um, I don't know if Christians are more than Muslims or the other way around. But yeah, we have Muslim, Christians, and traditional uh, sort of believers here. So it's all. Oh, sorry, a typical African yeah, country, exactly, basically. Yeah. Gotcha. And South Sudan, you, you mentioned, uh, gained her independence uh, pretty recently, 2011, I think. Um, if I'm not mistaken, like the most recent independence? Yeah, the newest country. The newest country in the world, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean,. Um, I mean, that means you have a shot as becoming finance minister or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty soon. But, but I have a question. Why, why, and why do African countries always enter a conflict soon after independence, like a couple of years? It was the same in Nigeria. I, I, I think it was the same in Ghana. Like, within a decade of independence, it's almost like, People don't get along and they just get into a conflict. It's a trend where we we saw in history and now we're seeing with the newest country in Africa. Well, what do you think is the issue? Yeah, from my own observation, I think it's uh, to do with first of all lack of institutions in place. So whenever uh, you're like a new country, you don't have proper institutions that can check for accountability, and so you start having issues with trust. Um, corruption coming in that cannot be checked. And then you have, because the issue is one, like for South Sudan case scenario, when we were in Sudan, we had one God. All the tribes were united 
uh, against the northern people, like the northern part of Sudan. Like, wanted to separate. We wanted to have our own independence. Oh, wait. So that means even before uh, secession of yeah. South Sudan, like, this, the people literally, like, in the southern part of Sudan were united against... The north. So were, were you guys a minority? I know you mentioned there are 12 million people in South Sudan. Yes, South, yeah. So how many people are in Sudan? Uh, most of them in, in Sudan. But before, when we were one country, there were so many issues. For example, the oil. Most of the oil is in South Sudan. And... but. Most the oil money was used to develop the northern part, northern part alone. Mm. So like South Sudan didn't have proper roads, no hospitals. Was was it deliberate? Because um, we kind of like have the same system where yeah. I'm from, like in Nigeria, right? That the oil comes from the south, yeah. and most of the people say that um, uh, it's used to develop the, the north. north. But it's almost like there, there's an argument to be made. I don't really know like uh, the nitty gritty, but there's an argument to be made that there it, the money is shared, but the North does utilizes it better, and the South kind of like there's a little maybe corruption, and you know it doesn't. It's not like utilized as it's supposed to be. Uh, so people now come up with this argument that why should the North even get anything? Like everything should come to the South. But you know it is one country identity. But I don't know like the dynamics. I'm just like throwing that out yeah, there. How's the scenario? Yeah, I'm not so sure of the dynamics as well that time. But I know this was one of the issues. Also, religion maybe played a bit of a role because. The Northerners, Northerners were the ones who were Muslim and the Southerners were the Christians. So there's a bit of that. But um, so there's a whole South Sudan was united against the North and there was the fighting, the 21 years fighting mm. for independence before we gained independence. Wow. So I think this is another issue because once we got independence, now we have to come and stay together as tribes, all these 64 tribes. And all of a sudden people are fighting for power. Yeah, then now, of course, it's, yeah. It's hard to now, like, you have to. I guess when you have one goal, you're all united. But when once the goal is eliminated, it becomes more like, oh, I don't like staying with these people, or I don't like this is how these people behave. Well, you know, you have fighting among yourselves. Yeah. And I think that's what happened to South Sudan as well. Um, we're learning to stay together, which is not easy. Yeah. It's not easy, but currently they're like it's it's almost like the conflict is still brewing. Like even currently, yeah, it's almost like a civil war uh, situation. Yeah, it has been politicized. Uh, so now it's more the politics. The vice president and the president do not agree, and this is are they from the same part of the country? No, and from the different tribes. So mm. it also plays a big role. Yeah, the two largest tribes actually. Okay, so the vice president and the president don't necessarily agree, and that like polarizes the country. So the vice president kind of like has his own like military, I mean, yeah. army, uh, his troops, and president yeah. has his own troops. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, how, how is how is life? Let, let's start from the very beginning. How was life growing up? You were born in South Sudan. I was born in South Sudan. Where in South Sudan? What city? In the capital, Juba. Juba. Yeah, and by that time it was one country. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, but because of the fighting then, I went to the northern part. I was in Khartoum. Also, literally since you were born, you talked about 21 years struggle for independence. So literally yeah. since the time you were born, there has been some form of conflict exactly. on your Wow. Yeah. And I so think, you've always known. Yeah. So actually, no, because I didn't really live all, all my years in Sudan. I, I left Sudan when I was five years. Okay. Yeah, and I grew up in Kenya uh, okay. until I finished my university. So 
Is that common? Is that a common thing to do? Uh, maybe people try to keep part, members of their family safe and taking them to maybe yeah. neighboring countries. Yeah, I know many South Sudanese grew up in Uganda, Kenya. Um, many people got asylum in Canada or US as well. And so, yeah, it was common back then, people moving before we became a country. So you actually spent like your formative years, high school, everything in Kenya. In Kenya, so oh. more Kenyanized, yeah. Nice. Do you speak Swahili? Yeah, perfectly. Really? Yeah. Say something in Swahili. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to say. I don't know how to speak Swahili, but Habari, Habari means like hi. Habari. Yeah. Then you answer Nzuri. Nzuri. Yeah. Oh. Nice. Now, do I have the accent like Nzuri? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't. Yeah. I guess when you speak like. Because Swahili is spoken among, like, I don't know, many countries in the eastern parts of Africa. So, for example, Tanzania will have a slightly different accent than maybe the way Kenyans speak their Swahili, but we'll definitely understand each other. Gotcha. So, you speak Arabic, you speak English, you speak Swahili. Yes, but my Arabic is not fluent anymore because when I moved to Kenya, I had to learn English and Swahili. But when I was in Sudan, I only knew Arabic. Okay. So, I had to change. And when I changed over to English and Swahili yesterday, Losing touch with Arabic, I didn't speak it for many years. Okay. So I don't really speak it that way. Are you from the Christian side of Sudan? Yes, I'm from the Christian. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so where is? Did you move to Kenya like alone, or you moved to your family? With my family. Okay. So where is more home for you right now? If you want to go back home, Kenya or South Sudan? Yeah, that's a big question I always struggle with. But home is South Sudan. Because as much as I stayed in Kenya for all those years, I don't have like nationality there. Mm. And so home is still South Sudan. Also, Kenya didn't necessarily grant you um, asylum in a sense? Yeah, more like we didn't bother to apply, I guess. Or my parents didn't bother to apply for it. And so... So, but how how did you like work? Um... Work as an international, like I was studying as an international student. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you've always been an international student because you went on to study in the UK. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and now in the yes, US. Exactly. Okay, so you grew up in Kenya from mm-hmm. when you were five to what age? To when I was 19. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what was the most memorable uh, part about growing up in Kenya? Most memorable? Um, there's many things. I guess like, I practically lived my teenage years there. So I think... Um, I mean, just doing everything. I, I can't say, I can't point out one memorable. Mm, I can't point out one. It's just like the whole thing. I don't know, be it dating or be it just having friends or going for weddings or, you know, I experienced all that in Kenya. So I literally live my life there. Oh, nice. What's it like to date an East African guy? <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know what to say. Yeah, it's good. I mean, like, I think it's just like any other guy, you know. I mean, I, I don't know. Are, are they? Uh, are, are are they? Are they good listeners? Are they romantic? Do, do they care for their women? All that good stuff. Okay, I have nothing positive to say about my ex, but. I know. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, see, for my friends, yeah, the, I think it's not really about the tribe or where the part of the country. Just, just a person. Just Exactly, just a person. Mm-hmm. They're good people and they're bad people, yeah. Okay, but let's talk about this bad ex of yours. <laughs> What's it? <laughs> she said she has nothing good. You want to drop his name real quick? 
Now what they say? Okay, drop his initials so he will know that he's the one you're talking about. Is <laughs> the first letter of his first name, the first letter of his last name? S N O. S N O. Okay, so, so <laughs> I can't think of any East African name <laughs> right now, but you know what you did. <laughs> okay, so you grew up till till you were nineteen. Um, yeah. Where did you go to from nineteen? So once I finished my undergraduate, I, I went back to South Sudan. I wanted to go back and um, give back to my country. I mean, I, oh, wow. I, I didn't really, much I was born there. I, could, I, I had no memory. I couldn't remember anything from South Sudan itself. Okay. I only had memories from Sudan, Khartoum, where I went to school. So I wanted to go back. And so that's what I did. I went back and I got... Were your parents there. supportive or you had to like break away? Yeah. They didn't want me to go because they didn't sort of like the life there already. But I didn't want it to go. I had to work as well to make my own money. And so that's what I did. And I went. And you were 19 thinking about all this. Yeah. Nice. And I went and I worked with a, a brewery, South African breweries. Huh. South African brewery. Oh, SAB? SAB Miller, yeah. They, they had a brand. Oh, yeah. Someone just bought SAB Miller. Um, was it Heineken? Some company from Belgium, right? Uh, I don't know if Heineken is the name of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the name of that beer brand uh, that controls? Um, I'm not sure if it's Heineken or Heineken is not Belgian, is it? Uh-huh. It's Holland, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, but I know. Uh, but yeah, about yeah. Uh, many boys, like I mean, SAB. It's it's just funny how uh-huh. the brewery industry in Africa is just booming, right? Like in a country like where I come from in Nigeria, Nigerian breweries are steadily... Nigerian breweries is one of the hottest stocks on the Nigerian stock exchange. <laughs> but it's kind of like if people are happy, they drink. If people are sad, they drink. And no matter how uh, the conflict the country is going through, mm, yeah, they still find a way to make the supply chain for beer still stand. Mm-hmm. So they can be like, people don't even have access to water, houses are burnt up, whatever, but soldiers are still getting their <laughs> beer supply. So sometimes it just makes you think of, you know, some of these conspiracies that you hear about, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just ridiculous. But you worked in SAB. Uh, obviously, you had free beer. <laughs> you had all that good stuff when you are working there. Um so how long did you do that? How long were you in South Sudan? And what was the process of reconnecting like with your people? Did you still have family there? What happened? So it was really challenging going back. It was more people had different mindsets. Sorry, quick question before you yeah. continue. Was the conflict, had the conflict escalated at this time? Was it hotter no. or it had died no, down No, that bit? time, it was just after independence. It was still like, um, there was no conflict that time. Okay, so 2011. 20, yeah, I went there 2012. 2012, okay. The fighting broke out in 2013. Okay. Yeah, end of 2013. So it was still calm, but it was more of just going, like, I didn't feel like I belong, you know? It was hard to just integrate into that culture. But, How so? People looked at you funny or you had an accent because yeah, of this for Yeah, an accent. And then I just felt like what... Even the mindset was different. Mm. I felt like things and this like, is just uh, a neighboring country, right? It's yeah, not like exactly. you went to Dubai or something. Yeah. It was just Kenya. Exactly. Okay. Um, so it's a bit of a struggle, but I I worked for one year, and then um I didn't like working in the in the brewery. I felt like I didn't know what I wanted my career to 
What were you doing? A brewer, <laughs> for sure. What were you doing in the brewery? What role? I was a technical brewer. Okay. Oh, so you're at, oh, okay. yeah. so you're tasting the beer, yeah, tasting the beer, <laughs> doing everything, yeah, nice. making the beer, literally making the beer. You should not make some beer now. Yeah, can we? we can get some ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so okay. I wanted to change my career, and I, I applied to work in the oil industry. Mm. And so luckily, I did well in the interview, and I was given an international contract to work in Norway. In Norway? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What are the popular oil companies that operate in South Sudan? Oh, so we have Malaysian companies, Petronas. We have Chinese. Um, initially, I think Total wanted to, to open up. That's French. But yeah, but I don't think they managed to. So we have none of the Dutch companies or none of the Italian no, companies? No, no, no. Okay. Um, and then we have a guy like Slambage where, where I, I, I worked with, like the company I worked with. Oh, Slambage, that's yeah. German, right? Slambage, no, no, international. Oh. Yeah, they have a headquarter in US, in Houston, Texas, and oh, they also okay. have a headquarter in, in France, in Paris, yeah. Oh, so you went to Slambager, Norway? In Norway, yes. Oh, okay, so that must have been like a stark contrast. Uh, yeah. How long do you live in Norway? Yeah, I lived there for three years. Wow. And yeah, it was awesome. Like it was the work was hard, I wouldn't lie, it was tough. But what, what were you doing? I was a field engineer, I worked offshore, offshore drilling. Oh for my yeah. Oh wow. So I worked to work like it was mostly like it was is a service company. Mm. So you have to work with the operating companies which are like Shell or BP or you know these other big um Oil and gas companies. Yeah. yeah. Was it particularly challenging being a woman working? I would assume offshore being a rig in the sea, right? Yeah. Was it particularly challenging uh, working uh, there as a woman, or the company made sure that they put measures in place to kind of like protect their female workforce yeah. in a sense? I guess, yeah, that's also like uh, working in Norway was good in a sense that the Norwegian government also, I think. No one could discriminate you based on your either race or gender. And I mean, those couple of times I'll be the only, leave alone just a woman, the only black person in the entire rig, right? But I'll still be comfortable. Yeah. And so I think that was okay. No one will show you like direct racism or anything like that or be, you know, angry towards you or calling names. So it was really good. Like everybody was friendly. Yeah. Gotcha. So, between moving from Kenya to Sudan and moving from Sudan to Norway, did you feel more a little more ostracized from your people in Sudan or from the Norwegians? Like, did people look at you funny uh, on the streets of Norway and didn't like accept you in quotes, yeah. or that was more prevalent in Sudan, like moving back? I would say it was more in Norway. Okay. Yeah, I guess because in South Sudan, as much as probably uh, maybe I felt like. I didn't feel in, like maybe mentally, but physically you feel like you're among your people. In the sense, people have your, your your similar names, which I never had in Kenya. You know, it was always a strong for like, oh, then the super, which name is that? You know, so when you're in South Sudan, you feel like, oh, I belong, right? Um, in Norway, it was more like um, it was hard to make friends. Norwegians are more like um, quiet people. What language do they speak in Norway? They speak Norwegian, but okay. I mean English as well. So it was more like people who speak Norwegian, they switched to English. So it, it wasn't, I did a Norwegian course, though, but it didn't like help me that much because everyone speaks English. So it was 
was fine. Okay, so three years there. Yeah, three years and, there. And what happened after that? Yeah, three years there, end of my contract. I went back to my country. South Sudan. Back, back to South Sudan. I was still in the same company. I was supposed to go and work in Middle East, in Bahrain. But they didn't want to take any woman to the thing. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Wait, was that the reason officially on the email, on the letter, that we can't take a woman or just... Yeah, I mean, that's why, yeah, that's what my manager told me at that point. Like, they tried to get me to work in, I think, Qatar as well. They didn't want any woman on the field. And so... Yeah, I can see that happening. In, yeah, in, in, in yeah. Qatar, yeah. So then I had to leave the company. And so I left the company and I then joined, I started working with um, my organization. Oh, so you left oil money and <laughs> went <laughs> to service to the people. Oh, that's yeah, nice. Yeah, I went to service to the people. And was this when you got into the Red Cross? Yes. Yeah, exactly. I worked with the Red Cross and that's when I... What motivated you getting into the Red Cross? Did you just want to give back in a sense to the people or... It was just like an opportunity that you just grabbed or something. Yeah, it was more of an opportunity I just grabbed. More like, okay, I'm looking for a job. Let me do this. But then the moment I began working with um, with Red Cross and I got into all this humanitarian world, I realized, okay, you know what? I think I want to focus on environmental issues. So that's when my eyes opened towards these environmental issues. You go to some areas, remote areas, you find that these oil companies are polluting the waters and these people will just drink this water because they have no any other choice and they're getting sick. And all these issues, you know, that I got to, to witness. And that's when I should said, okay, you know what? I'm going to quit this job. I'm going to go for further studies. And know exactly what I want to study. So you experienced um, environmental degradation in a yes. sense. Yeah. In Sudan. I'd imagine in a country like that, they have bigger fish to fry than worry about climate. Exactly. So did people look at you funny when you talk to people like, what's going on around me? And people are like, dude, like, I don't know, my house is on fire. Why are you still thinking about the environment or anything? No, did you actually, meet with some resistance? No, mostly the people on the ground, the local people, yeah, they're the ones who cry the loudest. Of course, they're the ones who are having like, oh, my kid has this deformity or we have this breakout of skin disease. We don't know what's the problem. You know, because of the physical, I mean, the um, public health issues. But of course, the government didn't really care about that because mm. they get 98% of the communities run from the oil money. So they don't really care so much about environmental issues because they really want that money. But that's why I feel like, okay, I have to make a change there. So mm. that's where I came in. Yeah. Nice. And the government didn't care. Yeah. But there's something I always like asking, and this mm. was something I was talking about with Jessica, mm. who I'm not sure when I'm going to post this episode, yeah. but I was talking with Jessica, uh, who is someone that left the U.S. She grew up in the U.S. and went back to Nigeria. Mm. When you were trying to do things like that, did they look at you as, why are you acting like a know-it-all? You know, you aren't really to the knees. Uh, you are this foreigner who's coming and thinking you can solve our problems, that kind of thing. Were you met with that kind of attitude? Yeah, especially like being the, like, you no know, South Sudanese. I've gone through that a lot in South Sudan, which was really frustrating. From the first time I went, went to get my, my passport on my ID card. This was, was when arrested. you wanted to go to Norway? Yeah, when I wanted to go to Norway. You were arrested? I was arrested, I was harassed. Were you not 19 then? So yeah, I was 20. Oh, you were 20. Yeah. 
I was harassed and I was told like, you know, um, you know, South Sudanese, you're from Kenya, how can I speak Kenya English or, you know, wait, 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 let me, let me paint this picture. Yeah. You were 20. Mm-hmm. You had just come from Kenya where you had been living for the last 14 years. Yeah. And you went to, I guess, what agency? Immigrations? Yeah, immigration. Okay, and you filled a form on yeah. paper mm-hmm. or and said you wanted to apply. Yeah. So that went well, but maybe at the it point of the... It didn't go well. It didn't I, go well. I just filled the paper, like I'm writing my details. Okay. And before I even finished writing, I was still like, actually, I was still writing. Someone came and grabbed my papers from my hands. And one of the officials at the immigration was like, oh, you can what are you doing here? How do you know? Were you dressed differently? No, What's the issue? This uh, stereotyping of South Sudanese, that South Sudanese are tall and thin and dark and so dark and this stuff like that. And um, so when they saw me, I'm, I'm short, you know, and they're like, okay, maybe it's not South Sudanese. So there's this sort of stereotyping as well. And yeah. How do you know, how do you know what Kenyan specifically? Or he just. I know. Wow. Yeah. And this was in the government building. In the government building. And so I was talking to CID and I was harassed, uh, questioned. I was denied. I had to go through investigation for like a month or two. My goodness. Just because you want a passport. Yeah. And it's your own country. Yeah. So, but and then I go in. But this was one of the challenges you have to go through. And even leave that alone. Whenever I speak, people speak of Kenya because of my accent. Of course. And... We always have to prove that you're not answering it. Yeah, How? What, do you have to answer specific questions or you need to tell them your local yeah, government? Yeah, speak your... more in Arabic. They're like, speaking Arabic, like, oh, yeah, maybe she's not saying it. So, you know, you have to speak more in Arabic. And, yeah. So you were actually detained? Yeah, yeah, detained. So how did, you, hours. how did you get out of that situation? How did, oh, um, so they had to, they called my chief. Uh, yeah, I mean, where are you from? I told him my village, where I came from. <laughs> and they had to call the chief wow. to talk to me. And I didn't know my mother speak how to speak my mother tongue because I didn't grow up there. But I explained to the chief, you know, my great grandparents and all that, the whole tree. Um, and yeah, and he said, okay, yeah, I think I know your great grandfather. So you must be from up there. And just for context, all this was happening in 2012. Well, it's yeah. not like a 1950, no, 1920s. Right. Right. This is crazy. Yeah. yeah. This is crazy. So I would imagine that experiencing things like that, uh, why most families want to leave the country and, you know, just go out. But eventually, how long did it take you to get the passport eventually? It took like a month. Or two. I don't remember where I managed to get it. Like it took a lot of effort. My uncles, my aunts had to go and you know say like, oh, it's my daughter. You know, she lives from here and all that. And they finally gave it to me. And it, it's funny how we take some of these things for granted, right? Because mm-hmm. where I'm from, um, in West Af- in Nigeria, in West Africa, a lot of things don't work. A lot of things don't work. Um, we don't have as much power as we used to. We don't have access to clean water as we used to. We still have an education problem. A lot of things don't work. But, you know, when I look at other countries, when I walk into to get my passport, for instance, like I might end up spending like the whole day, they're like sitting there for like eight hours 
because the bureaucracy and the red tape in all government agencies are ridiculous. And sometimes if that, even after submitting, they might misplace the file and I have to come back and start all over again. So little issues like that, but at least no one is arresting me to detain me. So it just goes to show how, you know, in some countries we take a little, some things for granted, but in other countries it's just, yeah. you know, pretty severe and, you know, we, we should count ourselves lucky in some sense. And this is you, you even had uncles to call and you had a chief to talk to. So yeah. imagine if someone who was just on his own or her own. Um, wow. So you got your passport and that this is when you moved to UK? Yeah, no, that's when I was going to Norway because of way before. Oh, okay. Before UK, Norway. it was about I to study, but also it was mostly I wanted to also leave the country a quality way because at uh, that time really the war had broken out in 2013. Okay. And then in 2016, there was another like... Uh, uh, violent conflict, violent conflict, when and so every night we began shows and high insecurity, and so he wanted sort of also like a break from that, because uh, you know I feared for my life actually, and so that's when I'm like, okay, this is a perfect time to do my masters. Oh, so you you left to go to school, yeah. and I'm sure even like applying with a South Sudanese visa mustn't have been easy because I'm sure if you're applying to like countries in the US, they'll like double check, yeah, and you know to ensure that um, probably you're not affiliated with anyone who you know can come and meddle with the domestic affairs of that particular country uh, and all that stuff. But but you went to the UK. Um, what did you go there to do? What did you go there to study? So when I did um, environmental energy engineering. Oh, so um, still tied to your passion for the environment. Environment, yeah, when I majored in environment, yeah. Oh, wow. So even amidst all this, you are still thinking about the environment. Yeah, <laughs> hey, you're one strong African woman. <laughs> you're one strong African woman, man. Just imagine all this happening like a typical African girl. Like, man, I had to get the hell out of here. Some people even like run away and leave their families or whatever. But you are still thinking about like your community. That's admirable. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you, where 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 in, where in UK did you school? Did you go to school? Yeah, I was in Sheffield, University of Sheffield. It was the only time I to go to. I mean, because I got it through a scholarship, a UK government scholarship. You're right. Without the scholarship, it would have been really hard to even apply to go to UK to study. Yeah. But because it was a government scholarship, so it was give me a visa. Um, so I wanted to go to Sheffield. I, I did my, my research and I realized that. How were you studying for all these exams? And, you know, I would imagine you had to write, like, maybe GRE and a couple of exams here. We're in a country where there's conflict. How did you... Conflict did you, and no did you, internet. No yeah. internet. How did you apply? How did you study? Okay. Um, thankfully, there was no GRE. But to apply, you had to write essays, you know, like, why do you want to study this course? Why this country, you have to show that you are a leader, like you have to show that you've really done something for your people. So I used to go to like restaurants, but these hotels would have like internet. And so you I use the internet and that's how I applied it. Wow. Resilience. Yeah. Did you ever get to watch Sheffield United? Are you big are you big on soccer? Yeah, but I'm an Arsenal fan. Oh, give it here. <laughs> give it here. Although I don't like to call myself a fan. I'm a supporter. Oh, There's a difference. <laughs> I, I don't I don't like to have high blood pressure, so I don't call myself a fan. I support them. I wish them well. I try to watch a game here and there, but I don't follow it as avidly as I used to maybe eight, nine years ago. I, I'm just over it. Like, we haven't won the league in a long time. 
Is there other sporting activities in in Sudan in South Sudan? What's popular to do? Oh, I mean, most people are tall. Yeah, basketball. Really? Oh, a lot a lot of people are tall, right? Yeah, it, that's why the stereotype comes from. Oh, yeah. And it, in a country like that, where most people are at all, do people try to use basketball as an outlet, like to maybe get recruited in the NBA or something because they come from Sudan? Have you had any popular South Sudanese player? Not yet. There's one. There's one. One thing. I think he plays for. I don't know which. I don't actually. I'm not sure which uh, NBA team he plays. State. Minnesota. Timberwolves. So I'm not really sure. Yeah, but yeah, he's such a And I think there's one more such a need to join as well. I know right now there's a push for that. I know like many such a are saying like, oh, NBA should look into taking them, you know. But so far, I don't think it's... It'll probably start from college. Like um, yeah. maybe um, college coaches here will fly to Sudan yeah. and try to recruit high school Sudanese students to come to school in the U.S. for college. And from college, maybe they'll yeah. get drafted. Uh, but I guess that's yeah, yeah. to happen that way once we have stability. Like right now, it's politically unstable in South Sudan. And I'm not sure is even some people won't even go to South Sudan because they fear like you know uh, something might happen. Yeah. NBA coaches they'll go. Trust me, <laughs> <laughs> if there's a talent there. When look, capitalism capitalism make makes things work well, so smoothly yeah. sometimes. <laughs> when there's something to be done, regardless of where where it is, you know, okay. it'll okay. go there. Reminds me of that Jonah Hill movie. Mm. Where they were selling weapons to uh, the mm. American government during the Afghan war or something. And they were private people and mm. going to Afghanistan during the war. So I said, well, and they'll pay them in cash and they'll take that cash back, you know, to the US. But um, interesting. So you lived in all these countries. So you've lived in Kenya, you've lived in Sudan, you've lived in Norway, you've lived in UK. Currently, we're recording this in the US. Yeah. Where, where else have you been to? Have you lived? Mm, no. Those are the most many, like, those are the areas that we've been in. I've only traveled like for holiday uh, to other countries, mostly in East Africa countries like Uganda, Tanzania, Rwanda, Ethiopia. And then when I was in Norway, I toured like European countries. Nice. Yeah. Which ones? Oh, a lot. Like I went to Germany, France, uh, Portugal, Spain. And this Italy. is very common with oil workers because I have some friends who are like, once they like get off, like I think it's like two weeks on, two yeah. weeks off or something. Yeah. They are two weeks off, they just go. We had so much time off. That was a good thing. So Yeah, so we went to all these countries. Like, uh, I went to yeah, a lot of countries. I can't even remember. Hungary, um, Slovenia, Slovakia, Slovakia Republic. Nice. Yeah, Croatia, all those countries. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Nice. You're, you're yes, a well-traveled, yeah. strong African woman. Let me ask you this: in, yeah. particularly in the Western countries that you lived, not the ones you visited, so mm. Norway, um, England, and the U.S. Yeah. Which of these three countries has the best weather for you? I'll say U.S. Currently, where I am in D.C. Okay, it's not I too like cold. The summer. Okay. Summer is good. Yeah, because I remember Norway. I think. There was no time I didn't have a coat on, be it summertime or spring or whatever. It was always cold, always cold. Yeah. UK, it rained a lot. Even during summer, it was always raining every time. So I think, yes. What about the food? Um, what was the easiest to make, Kishra? US. Okay. But what about the food, the local food uh, to that the country? The local food. US, UK, and Norway. 
Oh, let me not say US, US, US uh, England. And in the sense that US, there's a lot of variety. Like, variety. Mm. Yeah, you can find actually, yeah, there's so many different restaurants. You can find like different foods, to, you know, but in Norway, mm. it wasn't that easy. Mm. Especially where I was, maybe I was in the capital, maybe that's why. But yeah. What about the party scene, like the social life and stuff? US, England. US, England. Yeah. Really? Yeah. US takes it all. It I've had amazing stuff about the European party scene, really? like in Germany uh-huh. and in Prague and, uh, you know, yeah. a couple of cities there, uh, but, you know. Uh-huh. For me, I have cities there. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Okay, so we, we talked a little bit uh, earlier in the podcast and you said you've tried jollof uh, and <laughs> you know what for free is. Yeah. How exactly did you come up about gaining all that information? About from Nigeria and West Africa in general. Okay, when I first moved to Norway, I shared an apartment with, with one lady from Nigeria. Oh, really? What's and her name? She was called Obanabia. Oh, shout out to Obanabia. <laughs> and the first. Wait, where is she from? Where is she from in Nigeria? That's a very unique name. Obanabia. Ah, Southern. She's people for sure, but oh, okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. makes yeah. sense. And she prepared for me to look rice on my first day in Norway, mm. and that's when I tested Nigerian jollof. That's when your life was changed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, and yeah, that's when I got into contact with that. But then um, I had a Nigerian boyfriend as well, and I got to test other different Nigerian cuisines. Uh, yeah. Oh, nice. And yeah. while you were in Norway also? No, while I was in the UK. Oh, okay. So moving around all these countries, which Africa, which, from what country in Africa do you think has the most uh, immigrants in these countries? That like you go to all these countries, Norway, Germany, and you mm. meet someone from this particular African country. The Kenyans, the South Africans. Nigerians. <laughs> she didn't even allow me to finish. <laughs> well, yeah, because when I was in UK, yeah, there were so many Nigerians. I come to US, it's something. Yeah, definitely. I was saying, you're Nigerians. Gotcha, gotcha. Even in Norway as well, yeah. Oh, okay. So you dated a Nigerian guy. Same question as the East African guys. How was it like <laughs> dating a Nigerian guy? <laughs> I, I'm not being biased. I just want to know objectively because, like you said, yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to do with a country or tribe or whatever. But mm. this person in particular, the Nigerian you dated, how was that like? Uh, he was really good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so he was I affectionate. <laughs> it was affectionate, it was romantic, yes, all that all yeah. that good stuff. Exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah. I almost wanna ask and compare between <laughs> East Africans and West Africans, but I don't wanna we have listeners from both sides, so <laughs> maybe we'll talk off air. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well it's all good. Mm-hmm. So you left the UK and uh, that must have been a master's of two years you left in 2013, so that must have been, what, 2015? No, um, there was a master's of one year. Oh, okay. Oh, I did a master's in 2017 to 2018. Okay. One year. And immediately I finished. I was supposed to go back home, but then I got this opportunity to do policy here. The same course. To do what? Policy. Policy. Oh, it's a policy. Yeah, policy. It makes sense. I mean, I was like, yeah, why not? Because South Sudan has no environmental policy. And even I was thinking I was supposed to go back and give back to my community and do all these projects. I need a policy to support me, to back me. Yeah. So I'm like, since it's not there, why not do it? And actually oh. go and, you know, 
like I said, finance minister, oh, maybe the <laughs> minister of environment. <laughs> which which what portfolio do you want? Which ministry do you want? Yeah, probably environment and energy. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So thank God we have it on tape so we can come back <laughs> years from now when she decides to, you know, get involved uh, with the political sphere of South Sudan and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So South Sudan, uh, besides the, you, you talked a little bit about the MBA, but there's a very popular South Sudanese model, um, Alec Wek. Mm-hmm. Is that something common for girls uh, growing up in South Sudan? You, she's really tall, like you said, people in South Sudan are tall. Is that also uh, something popular, like the boys in basketball in yeah. South Sudan? Yeah, nowadays uh, we have modeling. Yeah, people are doing modeling. Um, but I don't know how big it is, like. It's I know maybe two or three ladies who are internationally like as models, but um, I don't know if it's big, if it's a really big thing in South Sudan. I know for sure we do miss South Sudan every year. Oh really? Yeah. I miss the conflict. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, there, there, there are a lot of I miss conflict. You'd be surprised at the number of things that still happen. Beer still flows. Yeah. There are still beauty pageants. Yeah. But, I mean, they might sports, they might not be running water, but we have a beauty pageant. And you said, you know, there are hotels and things which are life has to go on, obviously, heavily guarded and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, wow, interesting. So, what do you want to do um, once you're done? Kind of like give me a trajectory of the next five years or so. Um, What do you want to do once you're done with your master's in environmental policy here in the US? Fingers crossed. Will have been welcome to South Sudan. So, what I want to do is, I want to go and work in the environment sector. Um, two things might happen. I might go, in five years, I might be doing my own, having my own maybe company, doing projects on that, or I might be in the Like a consulting company? Yeah, consulting, consulting for the government? Exactly. No, no, the, yeah, maybe for the government, or just have my projects. I have like, a couple of ideas, um, you know, like, um, for example, most of the environmental issues comes about when you're trying to get like, so, so energy. People would burn wood to get, you know, fuel for cooking, right? So I'm trying to look at having projects like for the women, for example, making those uh, cooking whatever, or those briskets, which are energy efficient, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So an environmental friendly, so such projects are in the pipeline. I might do that, or I might also try and work in the government as well and bring change, you know, from the policy side. Nice. Well, all in all, those those two ideas still have to yeah. still touch on like your country. So well, yeah. that's really admirable. Yeah, yeah, making me feel like I'm not giving back <laughs> <laughs> anything back home. But yeah, um, well, one thing we like to do here, uh, cultural class podcast, uh, mm-hmm. we like to get you guys to say these things. Um, I like to ask these things to all of my guests. So uh, actually, obviously, you have a plan. But to, to, to put that in motion, right, and also to have, like, kind yeah. of, like, it documented so we can come back and say, oh, yeah, this is a clip on when she said this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's actually towing this line. And so, you know, more people should support her. And in any way we can, uh, we'll also try to assist and help, be it from, you know, here in the U.S., tobacco, uh, people that are listening from to this uh, all over the world. So, yeah. I wish you all the best. Uh, thank you so much uh, for coming to the podcast. Um, is there any question I didn't ask you? Anything you would like to speak on on South Sudan? Uh, do you want to 
maybe, I don't know, put out a message about the country or say something about the country that people don't necessarily know or people misconstrue anything like that. I'll just give you the floor for a couple of minutes. <laughs> okay, the only thing I want people to know is that South Sudan has 64 tribes. And 64. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know people tend to stereotype South Sudanese as violent or as tall and this, but they're just people, you know, different, people of different, you know, cultures. And so, yeah. So I want to I mean, South Sudan is not a monolith. Mm-hmm. Africa is not a monolith. Exactly. Black people are not a monolith. Yeah. I mean, it's it's different, but you know, unfortunately, I don't know if it's the way the brain is wired. If you just experience someone uh, from a particular tribe, that's why I'm asking you about this Nigerian guys and East African guys. Yeah, they, <laughs> one person can spoil it for everyone. <laughs> yeah. true, so, true. so yeah, yeah. I and mean, it's all good. Um, so we have this thing that we do. Oh, sorry. Before we go into Endgame, um, if you are listening to this, uh, regardless of what platform you are listening to it, uh, do me a favor and screenshots your screen right now and post it on WhatsApp stories or Instagram stories. So if it's if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, whatever it is, just screenshot it on WhatsApp stories and African stories, please, guys. I don't ask anyone for money. I'm not asking you to sponsor. I'm just saying do this so this podcast can spread. So thank you. I appreciate it. Um, how do you communicate with people back home? Is WhatsApp a big thing in South Sudan? Yeah. Oh, but you, you talked about in the internet yeah. penetration, right? So it's not really... Yeah. Um, it's more, more of like it's hard to get Wi-Fi, but you can like buy the bundles. Oh, like what's the mobile operator? Is it MTN? MTN. MTN yeah. still? MTN. Even the conflict? Oh my goodness. MTN is everywhere. Yeah, MTN thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, we have this thing called Endgame. Uh, I mean, you've right. talked a lot about South Sudan, uh, things that I didn't even know. And I'm sure a lot of people mm-hmm. have you know, gotten one or two information here and there. But we like to be a little bit deliberate about passing on um, aspects of culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have a couple of questions uh, for you to answer. So are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so I have one or two from the oil industry and I have one about South Sudan. So um, how many seaports does South Sudan have? First question. Zero. Oh, okay. That was an easy one. <laughs> yeah, because South Sudan is actually a landlocked country, right? And... Um, so you have no offshore drilling, obviously. No. Uh, everything's. Uh, well, what are the What are the border countries to South Sudan? I think Kenya is on the right. I think. Yeah, Kenya is one. Uganda. Ethiopia. Obviously, Sudan is up north. Sudan, Ethiopia, Congo. I mean, DRC Congo and Central African Republic. Oh, re- DRC. Yeah, DRC. Wait, and South Sudan is it considered an Eastern African country or a Central African country? Eastern. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so that means DRC must be just on the border, maybe to the far side, on the left or something. Yeah, exactly. Okay, interesting. Okay, so and the landlocked country, meaning that they don't have any seaports, right? So you bring all your goods, maybe from, I guess from Mombasa. Yeah, Mombasa. Okay, from, that's like the busiest seaport in Mm -hmm. East Africa, and Mm -hmm. you drive it to... All the way through. Now it's through Uganda, then South Sudan, because there's no proper road between Kenya and South Sudan. South Sudan, right. I've always thought about a technology of like, you know how they have the hovercrafts and the hoverboards and all those yeah. hover, hover, like just making it a larger scale to be like on a ship. Oh. So like for landlocked countries, you yeah. can actually sail a cargo <laughs> vessel out of the water and on land to 
you know, but I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Maybe future. Maybe future. Second question. Uh, so this is an abbreviation used in the oil in the oil industry for a particular, mm-hmm. I guess, a chemical. But uh, what is AGO? Oh my god, I don't know. <laughs> AGO. Yeah. Oh no, I have no idea. What about DPK? Hmm. No, no idea. AGO uh, is from the oil industry. Yeah, it is from the oil industry, and I don't know if this is used differently, but they are kind of like universal terms. So I would think they are used universally but being nigeria as an oil-based economy you know, these are some of the things i heard you know growing up uh, so ago ago is actually automotive gas oil so the gas you use in your tank because when we say oil it, it consists of so that's it because you know in the oil and gas is upstream midstream and downstream yeah and i work mostly in the upstream so in the exploration exactly Okay, so obviously you didn't have yeah, you didn't, you have it's more of the refinery, refinery. yeah, downstream, yeah. correct, mm. correct, correct, correct. But hey, just a bit of knowledge like yeah. out there, like automotive gas oil that's like the industry name for the gas you have in your car, the petrol, mm. like you have in your car. Yeah, okay. And DPK is actually kerosene. I don't know how many people listening from the US will know what kerosene is. <laughs> Maybe if you are the airline industry, but if you are from Africa, you know what, you know what kerosene yeah. is. But. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Miriam. Uh, do you want to drop your social media for people to reach out to you? Or you don't want to drop your social media so the South Sudanese government doesn't send? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm no, just joking. Anyone can have like on social media. I mean, Facebook, uh, with my full name, Miriam, I don't like that. And um, Instagram as well. So yeah, Facebook is in South Sudan as well. Is it used as a tool for you know journalism and maybe um, things like that or yeah people also like oh yeah for discussion debates yeah does the government censor social media in South Sudan no that they no they don't do that okay I know that was done in Cameroon at one point oh. yeah it was done in Cameroon um, well, I'm not too sure of South Sudan. But yeah, thank you for coming. Um, you can follow us on social media as well. Uh, it's Culture Class Podcast everywhere uh, except Twitter. Twitter is Culture Class Pod. Uh, send us an email, cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com. Check out our podcast wishlist. So if you follow us on social media, uh, you can go to our podcast wishlist. Uh, we have a couple of equipments there listed on Amazon. If you want to get us something to upgrade our podcast and maybe hear a better sound, you can also do that. Uh, but if you can't, uh, just screenshot you. Take a screenshot of your screen and share it on your Instagram stories. So thank you, Miriam. Thank you for having me.